You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Yes, you heard of Dr. No? This is Dr. Yes. Dr. Yes of Dr. Esteban Marconi. It's great to have you here, Dr. Esteban, today. How are you? Thank you. Very good. And you know what happens when you scream? Everything gets softer. There's a limiter on it somewhere. Oh, no kidding. On the microphone, I screamed yeah. uh, the other day. Same thing. I was editing the show and it like blew out the monitor on that thing. So, ah. so it's good to scream. It's good for that. Yes. And we have some great guests today for this radio show that we're doing not in a radio station, but we're doing via the Zoom. Very exciting. Yes, you're in your office, I'm in my kitchen. And we still have uh, three guests who are coming on from the Independent Agency Sound Talent Group. There's John Mantle, who's an agent. And then John really wanted to get a couple of the co-founders on with us. So we're going to have Tim Borer and Dave Shapiro on with us as well. All right. So before they join us, let us give some thanks. Shall we do so? Let us do Certainly. so. We should give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management because with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. What you want to do is you want to open up the World Wide Web and you want to go to VB... <laughs> hyphen CPA.com when you are ready. Yeah. While at the same time, it's Thanksgiving here at Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio because we also want to thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped so many professionals. Sure, at the University of William Patterson, but professionals of all stripes, of all ages, of all races and colors and creeds, <laughs> their investments and plan out for their retirement. When someone like you, is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, right. that person, who is you, should think about the Forefront Group, that's an F-O-U-R, front group, and go to christine.oy at forefront.com. Leave the last oy off for savings. And that's, that's an order from the doctor. Okay. Sure you're going to Music Biz 101 WP, you sign up for that newsletter, and you're also going to find our podcasts on there as well. Make sure you're going to the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook at MusicBiz101WP. We are there. This podcast, you may be listening already on iTunes or the SoundCloud, so we appreciate that. And we should mention very soon, we're expecting, hopefully, a ranking from the Billboard magazine folks. 
Uh, the music of our music business program at the University of William Patterson is one of the best in the United States of all America. Yes. That would be nice. I read today that the company that owns Billboard and Hollywood Reporter, same company? Yeah, I guess that's the same company. I think they also own Variety. That Variety was mentioned, but um, they're going to do some major layoffs because of uh, a lot of mergers, a lot of purchases, and uh, they need to get their financial house in order. So I read that this morning. Nobody's immune. Yeah, not not now. Nobody is immune. This is um, insane. You're hearing every day of more layoffs, of more people coming on. And speaking of more people coming on, the timing is perfect. No one is immune. No one is immune. <laughs> Unless we do some more testing and then we find out that we were all immune. Of course, that's Mr. John Pantel. How are you, John? Yes, I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Very good. Your timing was perfect. Very happy. Oh, great. Yes, and I, I believe we're gonna, going to have uh, Dave and Tim as well. That's good. Principals. They should be checking in very shortly. So, how's your guys' day? Good. How's the weather out there? Is it beautiful? Groundhog Day. <laughs> we're doing okay in, uh, in scenic New Jersey. Now, you're in California. Are you, I know Sound Talent is. San Diego, but you're not in San Diego, right? I'm based in Anaheim, uh, usually, but at the, but I go back and forth between San Diego as well. And Mr. Dave Shapiro, he What's up? based out of the mighty El Cajon, which is the San Diego. But Dave, El Cajon is so much more than San Diego, isn't it? <laughs> it is. That's where the airport is. <laughs> yeah. you must have some great cojones in order to live out there <laughs> that's right yeah that's right <laughs> well, so, you know, so, so it's funny because um i was talking about you guys to a class today and there's a picture of uh dave tim and matt going back from when you guys formed the center and two of you including you dave have tattoos all over your arms and i said because of that by law that is why many of the artists you represent are of that genre because of the tattoos <laughs> that, you were, that you were born with, right? Mm -hmm. That's crazy right. birthmarks. Metal bands only want agents covered in tattoos. That's just how that goes, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah. If, uh, if you play a flying V guitar, you want an agent with tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very holograms funny. as well holograms only like people that affiliate with cartoons and images that's yeah. the, all they like yeah. Yeah. Point to have <laughs> yeah and you almost don't need to say that because that's pretty much understood right off the bat yeah, that's true. <laughs> so here we are so we want to thank you guys for jumping aboard and um, we can probably um our good friend dr esteban marconi here with us can probably jump right in with uh, the beginning of the, th of the third degree. And we're going to have, I can imagine, a very excellent conversation going on because there's a lot of stuff going on that we need to. What were the circumstances in 2018 that you guys decided that uh, you could go off on your own? Was it a problem within the agency or was it just you just felt it was the next level you guys had to take? Well, I think... Um... I think for us, you know, T Tim and I, well, John worked at UTA before Tim and I did. Um, and going back, we all worked together at 
the agency group a really long time ago, um, like 13 years ago or something like that. But uh, when Tim and I were at the agency group, it got acquired by UTA. And that's how we ended up working at UTA. And when that happened, um, you know, we were, we, we were very excited about the prospect. I think we all felt it, it was going to bring a lot of different opportunities, um, things that we hadn't been exposed to before. We had never worked at a really large full service agency like that, like a CAA or UTA or WME or what, what have you. So when we, uh, when we got there, you know, we, we experienced a lot of new stuff and it was really cool, but we also, I think, learned fairly quickly that it just wasn't the best fit for us. Um, you know, it wasn't a bad place to be uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, um, it, it, it wasn't that it wasn't uh, a, a, like a, a place that added a lot of value and a place that had a lot of great people. I mean, it, it it, it did have all that, and it was a lot of our same coworkers from the agency group and people we really liked working with. But it was a big change. It was very corporate. Um, you know, there was a lot more red tape. Uh, there was a much different mentality on the way that you would book tours and do your job. And it was just a very different thing. And I think, uh, you know, I won't speak for Tim, but speaking for myself, it definitely wasn't, um, it just felt, I always felt like I was not comfortable in my own skin. You know what I mean? Like it just was like going to work every day and feeling like I didn't belong there and it just wasn't a fit. It didn't feel right. And, um, you know, you guys pointed out before we started recording that, uh, you know, joked about Tim and I having tattoos and all of that. And, um, you know, and we were going to work every day with people wearing suits and not really understanding what we were doing, even though we had a real business and we're making the company money and had a lot of clients that I think were, were uh, exciting. I don't think they really understood exactly what we were doing. And we ultimately, uh, speaking for myself at least, knew that I needed a change when our contracts were up and um, you know at that point we had done so much having been at the agency group for 10 years and UTA for a number of years and I think it was time to go out on our own I don't think it made sense to just do the same thing again you know going to CAA or WME or ICM felt like kind of a lateral move and it felt like it was going to be a lot of those same kind of things and so it seemed like the idea of going on our own was scary. It was risky. It was, um, it was a big, it was a big challenge, you know, not knowing what the future held in terms of the leverage we would have, if the clients would follow, if agents would want to come, but we ultimately took that chance and it, it worked out great. And I would say until this COVID-19 issue, um, you know, really things were seamless. This COVID-19 stuff has obviously affected the music business in a way that has been unprecedented and it definitely hasn't been isolated to our company. That has been a global issue, um, but it has had an impact on us without a doubt. Sure. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, sorry for a very long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, and, and, you know, 
I look, I, I, there's nothing I'd change. Dave didn't speak for me, but he did. He did speak for me. I wouldn't change a thing that he said. I would just kind of end cap it by saying, you know, when Dave and I got into the music business, I don't think either of us thought of ourselves and probably John as well, or really anyone that works at our company where we're not corporate guys. You know, I didn't get in to be part of the corporate music business. I got in to, uh, you know, support the, the thing that I love, which was music. And, you know, I have a different approach um, as, as I think everyone here does where, you know, we're probably have a little bit of a black sheep mentality and we found our own, you know, herd of black sheep to, to roll with together on this thing. And, um, or, as, or as John likes to say, and, and I'm going to paraphrase and not say it as cool as he does, but we're, you know, we're a bunch of pirates on this pirate ship uh, together. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, we, we, I, Dave's right. They liked us. We liked them there, but we weren't the same kind of people. We tried to fit. They tried to have us. It just felt awkward no matter what. And, you know, even as much as Dave and I are, are individuals from each other, we shared that in being there. And when the contracts was up, it was time to go. And it's that uh -huh. simple. Uh -huh. Well, John, I was going to ask you, what was it then that attracted you when you left uh, your age? Well, there, the, obviously you can see they're two attractive men. I mean, they're very good looking men. Yes. <laughs> it's very attractive. Uh, as it, as it happens, it all is of obvious, our isn't it? yeah, it's a given. <laughs> it's a given. So you know, yeah, clearly, it's all three of us. It's been difficult being as good looking as we are, living in a world of scarcity, where there's so many people that want our time and want to be around us, and there's only us, and it's right. hard. And only the three of us really understand this. So it's a kismet thing. Uh, my contracts. <laughs> My, my contract and their contracts all uh, all lapsed on the same day. It was crazy. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I'd known Dave and Tim for a very, very long time. And we had a good conversation and laid out, uh, and they laid out their vision. And I was in. It was everything that I wanted to do. You know, uh, I think we all believed where our artists were, where the business was going, where, uh, what could be successful if you had some really great minds that were really focused and you didn't have a lot of the overhead and you didn't have a lot of the legacy expenses that some other places have. And if we just believed in it and just moved forward, this is what you get. And it's been working out so far. We've been very, very lucky. Uh, we've built a great roster that doesn't have, it's not limited to any genre. It's not limited to any aspect, any concept. I'll go ahead and add to that, and I'll try and keep this short. But, you know, when, when Dave and I made this move, um, along with our other partner, Matt Anderson, um, there wasn't a lot. There were some. But when I think when John and Dave and I all started in this business, there were a lot of really healthy, independent agencies and a lot of independent uh, music entities in the touring side of things. And as, you know, the last 20 years have kind of unfolded, you know, everything just kind of kept getting sucked up and folding into the other and the bigger companies got, the big companies got bigger and, and, and kind of 
you know, rolled everybody up. And um, when we made this move, I think we just represented, you know, even though there were some, some good indies still out there, no one had really left a major agency to start an indie in this climate. There was very few, you know, Carol Lewis did it. Uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, for John, he kind of looked at it and said, huh, that's something, that's something interesting that you don't see every day. That, that seems like something I would want to be part of rather than, you know, what we already know exists. And so, you know, from there, we started with six or seven of us and, inside a year we became 20 based on I think exactly that notion and just kind of existing in the landscape with a little bit of a different pulse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you um, throughout most of your literature you say uh, we're doing this because we believe that the client should come first. Now if I read any agency from CAA to ICM to anything you're going to have that line in there that says the client comes first and the music comes first. So what made you guys different that you, you, you really believe this or you believed it in a different way? That, that's probably true for all the agencies. I think for us, one thing that was getting in the way of that, again, was the size of a bigger corporate company. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of things that go on during the day to day inside of, a bigger company like that that don't have anything to do with representing your client. It's just meetings pontificating of things to do for your clients that may or may not work for the top 1% of the roster. And, you know, the, the working class business, which is still a huge business, um, you know, there's not as much time in the day for it. And when we made this move, we literally, Dave, Dave, Dave did the math on it, you know, not kind of this real incredible math, but, I hadn't thought of it in the way that he did. We got an entire day or day plus back out of our week, not attending these meetings, um, which that's an, that's a lot of extra time to invest into what's good for your clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot. Mm -hmm. well, so you, what was it a conscious effort uh, to sort of sign or bring with you whatever you want to say, uh, sort of middle level to, but you know, budding higher level bands. Uh, did you think that's where your, your resource was going to be? Your one of your um, certainly one of your you know lines for revenue. Well, I think you know we all had our own. Even though we were at a larger company, we still had our own respective rosters. You know, like I had the artists I was still focusing on. John had the artist he was focusing on. Tim had the artist he was focusing on. So I think the goal was really just to bring as much of our own rosters with us as would follow, you know? And, um, and we were really fortunate that, you know, pretty much all the artists did. Um, you know, there was one or two things that kind of didn't end up making sense um, for one reason or another, whether we decided we didn't want to bring it or they decided they didn't want to come, but, you know, all of the key artists, all the artists that we really wanted to bring um, for all of us came over. Um, and, and that was really a humbling experience for all of us, you know, and, and to, your, to address your question specifically, those artists were of all different sizes. You know, they were um, everything from small developing brand new artists that had done very little touring that we were working with on up to 
some of the bands that some of us have been with 10, 15, 20 years and are now doing, you know, very, very large scale touring business. Um, and those are a lot of the artists we still represent right now. And, uh, and then of course, we've also taken on a bunch of newer stuff uh, over the last year and a half or so since, since the company started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? How do you um, convince an artist to go with you to the new company? Do you do that before you leave? Do you, do, do you leave and then call them up and say, I left? Is it sort of depends on the artist? Because then for some of them, I guess you're trying to keep a secret because you haven't left the other company yet. So how does that whole process yeah. work? Well, we, we really weren't contractually allowed to talk about it. Um, and contractually, we weren't really allowed to solicit. You know, We weren't really allowed to go to artists and say, don't stay with UTA, come with us. So our, our hope was that when we approached artists and said, listen, we've decided to leave and not really pitch them, the hope would be that they would say, uh, well, can we come with you? And, and they did, you know, um, and the reality is those relationships were with us. They weren't with the agency, you know, um, we all have had very close relationships with all our artists. A lot of the artists that John represents that Tim represents that I represent, we've had since before we were even at APA or UTA. And so the aid, the relationship really lies with, with, lied with each of us and the artists, not the agency itself. So, you know, for a lot of the artists, we're the only ones they dealt with at, at that company. So, you know, when we said, hey, we're gonna leave, we're going to do this thing instead, you know, a lot of them didn't even know anyone else over there. And they're like, well, but we don't care what your email address is. We just, you've done a, you know, you've done a good job for us. We've done good with you. Like, where are you going? Can we come? And um, that was what we were hoping would happen. And fortunately, that is, that is what happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your contract doesn't have anything um, when it runs out, uh, no non-compete, things like that? Um, not a non-compete. It did have, like I mentioned, non-solicit. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we fulfilled the contract, right? Like, it, like you know, we, we weren't allowed to leave in the middle of the contract and then go work at a different agency, for example. Mm -hmm. But... Um, you know, but it's no different than, you know, a baseball player fulfilling his contract and going to play for a different team or, you know what I mean? Like we, we, we did our part. We honored our agreement. We stayed through the end, um, you know, and, and we did everything that we promised we would on paper. And uh, so we were then free to go and, and, um, you know, do what we wanted or needed to do um, for the next chapter in our careers. Yeah. And look, this is, this is, you know, th this isn't this isn't unique to our situation. This is an agency thing across the boards, practically for any artist. The 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 artists have chosen the agency the, that they want to be with, the agents that they want to work with. They, they've they've developed relationships, and it's it's not within really the agency's power to tell an artist who their agent's going to be. It's the the, yeah. the band's going. The artist is going to have the decision of who they want to represent them, who they're comfortable, you know, working with, who they think share that vision. And that, that's not, that wasn't unique to UTA. It's not unique to Sound Talent Group. It's not unique to really any of the agencies. Um, you know, I think, I think some of the bigger agencies and even UTA would probably debate this for 
clients that have been signed to the company kind of after the acquisition. I think those artists feel more signed by UTA or CAA or whoever than, than individuals. Um, but that's not the way Dave and I and John have been doing our business prior to that, that, uh, that, you know, the acquisition from UTA to agency group. So we, we had, we did have the benefit of a different kind of relationship with our artists and, you know, that paid off for us when we made the move. Thank you. So, uh, STG then is not basically based, the structure of it is not territorial with each of you have a, a certain area of the country or the world. No, no, we all, um, we all handle all of our bookings for all of our artists. We have Randy Salcedo who, um, who was at the company. He was at CAA for 17 years prior to coming here. He handles a lot of international and he's done a lot of assisting in some of these foreign territories as well, whether it be assisting, you know, artists on my roster or match roster to get over into Japan for different opportunities and things like that. Um, but for the most part, like, yeah, they, you know, there isn't a quote unquote territory. We do all support each other and we do all help each other a lot, try to get, you know, different opportunities, um, you know, for each other's rosters. We're always sharing information and it is very collaborative, but we yeah, don't some, work some of us are team. Yeah, and some of us work as, as, as co-RAs or teams on, on certain artists. So it, it's, not, it's not completely yeah. siloed. Um, you know, I think there, there's, I think because we work at the places that we worked at, APA, UTA, the agency group, those were all different variations of the same thing in the way that they did things. Agency group was, you know, very independent agent, almost independent agency with inside the, inside the agency, you know, yeah. everyone used to really tote that it was very much, um, you know, an entrepreneurial spirited company. Um, but it, that, that also meant that everyone was very siloed in their own little world there. And then UTA really kind of got us out of our comfort zone on that and worked in a more collaborative nature. And that was great. There was certain downsides, at least I think for myself in terms of some of the way that that worked with the territorial stuff. And, but I think what we did with this is we tried to borrow some of the best of the boat, the best of both of those worlds to try and, you know, let everyone be entrepreneurial, let everyone kind of, you know, eat what they kill and, um, you know, work on the stuff that were their passion projects and the things they had visions for. But we brought some of the spirit of that collaboration, you know, that maybe wasn't at the agency group that was the good parts of the things that, you know, Dave and I really liked at UTA and tried to bring that to this. And, you know, I think it's a little different than both of those environments in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing you brought up earlier was um, when you created the agency, you realized the time you were saving with fewer meetings, things like that. Mm -hmm. As you go, the, the agency, COVID-19 aside, the agency is going to grow. How do you avoid falling back into that trap of getting so big that now we're, we've become what we kind of left years before yeah i think um um i could take that tim i mean obviously you can add to it sure. when i'm done but, um yeah you know 
uh, I'll say two things to that. Number one, our goal is to not just grow to grow. And I think that that has a lot to do with it too. Like a lot of these other larger companies are focused on market share and that's not us. You know, for us, having been through those experiences, we're really looking for the right fits and just to keep the company uh, a place that's really uh, enjoyable to work at, all people that really like each other, um, a place where people can come and feel comfortable talking and working with anyone within the company. And as a result of that, <clears throat> there has to be an organic nature to what we do. And, you know, we're not sitting here in any way saying, okay, like we need an international guy. Let's go find that international guy and hire him. Instead, our approach has more been, let's do what we're doing. Let's do it the best that we can. And if opportunities that make sense come up, let's seize the moment. And if they don't, let's not force, you know, a round peg into a, you know, a square hole, right? So like, as a result, I don't think we're looking to grow into this, you know, like, hundreds of employees and kind of, you know, we, we want to grow. Um, and of course we, but, but it's gotta be the right situation. And as a result, I don't think that we will run into as much of an issue like that, that you're talking about because a, the dynamic within the company and between the, 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 the uh, people within the company will be a lot more seamless because that's, our goal is to make it a group of people that, that really enjoy each other and work well together. And then the second thing I'll say to that, <clears throat> and this is no slight within those other companies, I think it's just a reality of being companies of those size, but a lot of the meetings and discussions they, they spend a lot of time on are talking about doing the job instead of doing the job. And I think for us with where we're at and having done that, and not being as corporate and not having the red tape, there's an idea, it doesn't have to be vetted through this guy that gets vetted through that guy that then goes to legal, that, that's then vetted through this other guy and then maybe gets green lit. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, if something comes up and it seems to feel right and makes sense, we say, all right, let's roll. You know, um, we have this new initiative right now we're working on. I sent Tim and Matt a whole breakdown of kind of my vision for it last night. And Tim's response this morning was like, great email, let's go, you know? And, and so the point is we didn't have to have, you know, a bunch of meetings and waste all this time and talk about doing it. Instead, we said, let's just go do it, you know? And mm -hmm. I think no matter how big we get, you know, of course, the bigger we get, there'll be certain things that would need to change in order to um, keep things running smoothly and keep, collaborative but i think that kind of mentality will probably never change like we are very much just just a group of people that want to get you done and i think we show up every day to work you know not wanting to just talk about it but we want to be about it you know and um and so i think that's that is uh i think a large degree to how we avoid getting into that situation that you're talking about mm -hmm. yeah Look, mm -hmm. I, I'll take it a step further. You know, we, we set out to be a boutique company, you know, and right now that's what we're focused on being. You know, if it continue, we went from seven people to 20 people inside a year. We didn't intend on doing that. If in five years we're 75 agents, um, 
that's going to mean that some problems develop that were that are that are different than the problems we have now and or if not problems obstacles you know uh and i think when these companies get bigger there some of these things are unavoidable they are what they are mm-hmm. and we'll have to face those challenges as well and i think what what we will have going for us when we get to those challenges if it gets to that point um and we don't have that agenda built into this thing right now but if it were ever to get to that point I think we just have to draw from our experiences of when we were in that situation as, you know, one of the cogs in the machine and reflect on what do we, what worked from those situations and what didn't and how are we going to make this experience better? And that's what we've tried to do so far with the things, with the challenges that we've already faced, you know, and we're just going to keep borrowing from that. It's, it's kind of, a, a cool thing that I think that we have as a group is that a bunch of us worked at a few indies before we went to majors and then we worked at majors for a long time. There's, we have the experience from both ends to draw from to do something very different. So when we get to those moments, we're going to think about, man, it really used to suck when we would spend, you know, 12 hours in a week in meetings that didn't help us get the jobs done. Yeah, we got to have these meetings. Yeah, we got to plan for these things. But how can we do it differently than what we knew was a bum out in the first place? You know, I, I don't, I don't know how we'll do that yet. But we're just going to try and draw from those experiences and and make 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 decisions that make sense for those moments. Yeah, I was going to say that when uh, when Dave was talking that if you get that big, it, it's going to happen. So I'm glad you jumped in, Tim and realize that it's going to happen and we're going to be cognizant of trying not to repeat mistakes. Yeah, look, I don't even know that the things that are happening inside these bigger companies are mistakes. It's the way things are done. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's part of what those companies are built to be. You know, we just don't want to build our company to be one of those places. So it'll be different by nature in that regard and in what way and how we deal with those moments. I, I don't know, but you know, so far, we've been good at dealing with, with whatever scaled moments we've had to deal with, and we'll continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that in mind, let's shift gears to a degree. And let me ask you guys these questions. I am involved with some shows that are going to play, take place. Um, two are in Philly at the end of September. There's one in uh, Wayne, New Jersey on November 7th at a Performing Arts Center. There's some things in Virginia and, um, and Nashville in August. Are any of those going to take place? <laughs> What's the crystal ball tell you? <laughs> Wait, what are the dates? November, when, and November, when? November 7th, that's the farthest out. Before that, you have September 25th and 26th. And then before that- And where are those in? What cities? Uh, 25th, 26th is Philly. Okay. And then August. Then you have August, Nashville and Virginia in August. And what are the, what are the capacities? I think that's a crucial question. Yeah, that's where we're going, yeah. 900 for the one in November and uh, about, about 1,000 for the one in Philly. Well, how many tickets I'll are let, sold for the 900 one? Hasn't even gone on sale yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I laugh because, and you followed it up with the right statement, the crystal ball. I, I just laugh because you need a crystal ball, you know yeah. I mean? John's actually been following the science um, probably at a deeper level than me and possibly Dave's. I'll let him to speak to to what he's been reading and what he may believe. But 
you know, look, we, we have stuff that we haven't given up on in July and August, but that stuff's not mm-hmm. going to happen. We haven't given up on it, but it's, I, I don't see that stuff happening. I mean, I'm waiting for the official shoe to drop for us to get over ourselves and stop pretending like that stuff's <laughs> going to be there. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but you know, yeah, I, you know, when, when you start talking about September and onward, I think to some degree it's still all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even we don't there's not even any way to to make an educated guess right now um based on the information that the concert business has i mean it's you know the the, the, the promoters have frozen what they're doing you know and um it's just it's a it's it's a guess i, I think you have to have your stuff ready to go for september uh because you have to work on the basis that at some point the business is coming back and you have to mm-hmm. have business in place to be part of that once that happens. But, you know, we've moved tours and are holding dates for three, in some cases, three different, four different time frames for the same tour, just so if it doesn't happen, then we're ready for the next time frame and the one after that. And I, I don't know how to have a different approach about it right now. Mm-hmm. Let me yeah, ask I think- a question. Do you uh, you foresee a, a season developing if we don't have a vaccine developed? Well, I mean, I, I think I definitely want to hear John speak to this because to Tim's point, he, John's definitely probably been more in the, you know, in the depths of it <clears throat> with uh, all the science and the news out there than any of us. Um, but what I will say before, uh, before John dives in is that just today alone, I spoke to a promoter this morning that we were trying to work out a potential date that might play in August. And he was working with me on it, but his mentality was there's no damn way the show's playing out. And (laughs) right after that, I had another call with a promoter for a club date in July. And I was telling him, I didn't think it was going to play out. And he was telling me he was certain that it would. And the point is, You know, those are two extremely, um, those are two opposite extremes in terms of an opinion. And neither of them know any more or less than the other one. We all have the same information. We're all interpreting it the best we can, but no one, literally no one actually knows. I do think that um, with Europe slowly starting to open things back up right now, I think in the coming weeks, we may actually see some of the effects of that. And I think that will give us a pretty good idea on how the rollout of us starting to open things back mm-hmm. up will be. But I also think that um, it won't be a light switch that just flips and things are back to normal. It's gonna be the same way that things went offline where they said, okay, like no gatherings over a thousand and then no gatherings over 700 and then none over four or whatever. It's going to be the opposite of that. They're going to say, all right, gatherings of up to 100 are allowed. And then a few right. days later, they'll say, okay, we haven't really seen an uptick in, in cases here. Gatherings of up to 300 are allowed. And yeah. so on and so forth. So I think you're going to see small clubs come back online way before the NBA or the NFL or arenas and, you know, mm-hmm. amphitheaters and stuff. But um, But again, like, that's all my speculation and that's all – you know, I don't know any more than you guys do. So, right. um, yeah. I mean, 
Austria, they're opening up stores up to 4,300 square feet. They're opening them up this week. Mm-hmm. Then they're possibly going to open up other stuff with the idea of getting to public events available in June. Germany is making a decision on April 26th of what they're going to do. They're already starting to put uh, the Bundesliga into preseason. Korea, they've already started intramural. They're going to have preseason games next week with possibly the idea of maybe some games being aired, uh, uh, being open to the public in a couple months. They're all trying to figure it out. In, in Belarus and in Nicaragua, they've been having soccer games every week. So everybody's under the kind of the same thing, which is like they're just trying to figure out locally where the balance is. I think with all of these scenarios, it's everybody's dealing with before it was a yes until it's a no. And now it's a no until it's a yes. Mm -hmm. And we're using the best analytical tools that we have from Johns Hopkins, from the University of Washington, to try to pinpoint each market, try to pinpoint each city, try to see where things are at, you know? And and the math in these cases, are, it, it's much different between the amount of deaths versus the amount of people infected versus the amount of hospital beds that are being used. I mean, Cuomo today said that the worst is over. But when he said the worst is over, it's not like everybody got into the street and, and started celebrating, rather, Today was one of the deadliest days that the city has ever had. Mm-hmm. Two things happened at the same time. Thousands of people died. And at the same exact point, the main guy who has his pulse point on the whole city said the worst is over. And that, is, that dichotomy is a large part of what our jobs are. What we do, what Tim does, what Dave does, what I do, we are union men. We represent our artists, our working artists. We represent the ability for them to work safely and to entertain. At the same time, we represent the fans. We represent every person in that room. We represent every person that is going out to shows. And so we are in, we go back and forth all the time between, okay, is this something that could work? Is this something that could be safe? Is this something, is this a concert that can happen? Is this going to be a situation in the next couple of weeks in which we're going to have, you know, nationalized testing? Are we going to have statewide testing? Is it just, is there going to be testing for antibodies? Are we going to be able to do an antibody passport, which they've tried to do over in England and it's already not working out that well? These are the questions that we deal with all day. And I can tell you, based upon the email correspondence between Randy, Dave, and Tim, and myself, there's generally only always one of us emailing the group, saying what's going on, saying this is what's going on in Korea, this is what's going on in Japan, this is what's going on in Mexico, this is what's going on in Pennsylvania, this is what's going on in California. It, it's, it's wild. I mean, we, we really started getting into this when uh, one of our artists, Perfume, uh, they were playing a show in Japan. And we flew over to, to check out the show, and it was in the middle of the pandemic in Tokyo. And 
we got there, we flew in, and there, there was a tremendous amount of concern whether fans were going to be safe, whether everything was going to be good. Uh, the artists decided to move forward with the show. It was uh, two shows sold out at the Tokyo Dome, which fits about 60,000 people. Uh, the artist uh, ensured that people wore masks. They ensured that people used Purell when they got in. They ensured that there was somebody with the security for the Tokyo Dome using a thermal thermometer on each person's forehead to ensure that nobody's temperature was higher than the other temperature. The show played. It was great. Everybody loved it. There were no documented cases of people getting it or transmitting it to COVID based upon that date. Now, granted, that's spotty. We don't know. Maybe that happened. If we would know exactly where people got the disease or where they didn't get the disease, uh, we would have a better idea as to where this thing is at. So one of the show played. The next day, uh, the artist was forced to cancel the show based upon a national edict, not based upon the particular show, but based upon a national edict. There was an incident in Osaka, which was you know across the country. So they had to cancel it. But one of the interesting things that we paid attention to was when I came back from Tokyo, a place where everybody was wearing masks, there were at least four different spots at the airport in which there was a heat exam, uh, a thermal exam, three of which I could see, one of which was around a corner. So there was no way that I would have known if, you know, I was running a temperature that I couldn't have been able to tell if, if they tested me or not. When I got to LAX, there was no testing. None of the TSA people uh, had masks on, no testing at all. And I shared that information with everybody on the team and we were, we, we knew uh, uh, to some extent ahead of time that we, we prepared ourselves for, for this particular situation. And our job has been to educate our artists and to educate promoters and educate people of what we do. And, and it, it, it's, it really is exactly, it's the crystal ball. I mean, I, I, I can read everything possible about prior epidemics, about post epidemics, about how to restart things. I can watch as many news projections as I can, but it's really gonna be based upon if individuals choose to embrace social distancing, if they choose to be in a safe atmosphere, and if people choose to, uh, if they choose to change their conduct. I mean, uh, 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 an author, Zeke Emanuel, he wrote a piece in, uh, in the New York Times about this scenario. And, and he wrote a piece also, really smart guy, the, uh, a doctor. And he wrote a piece about uh, behavioral economics that are designed to create incentives. And he wrote it in 2016. And one of the main parts of, of his abstract, his, his scientific paper was that if people are faced, if individuals are faced with serious potential uh, detriment or serious positive uh, scenarios, they have the ability to change behavior. Human beings have the ability to change behavior. And I think that the first time that people go out 
you are going to see individuals changing their behavior. You are going to see, hopefully there'll be a mass education program uh, and things will start out slowly, but eventually, you know, people are going to be out. People are going to want to be with others and they're going to want to be with others and they're going to want to be safe. They're not going to want to go back into their houses. And our job, our obligation is to the communities that we service, which is the artistic community, which is the fan community, which is the management community, even, you know, the promoter community, all of these to ensure that there is a symbiosis between all of these entities in order to get through something that, you know, regardless of any pandemic campaign or, or, or a thing that was in a previous administration that occurred or whatnot, I don't think anybody could have foreseen in dramatic detail that this particular theoretical situation was going to happen at this particular time. But I can tell you based upon everybody that's working at Sound Talent Group, we've never felt more alive and we've never felt that the changes and statements and messages that we do every day feel more important than ever. Well, um, I think Tim can, being in Philadelphia and Dave and I being in New Jersey, we're really in the Epic Center. And I know my, my daughter is down in South Carolina. She goes to U of South Carolina. And there's such a different behavior here where we are in the Epic Center and the distancing, et cetera, et cetera, and the fear to go to a, to go to a, a grocery store and, and all of that is much different than it is in South Carolina. And then I don't know about California, but I know California Newsom got a jump on it. And he's held it in terms of per capita deaths, he's held it down very well. So um, if there's gonna be that geographic difference, we know that. Um, yeah. I think uh, looking at the paranoia here in New Jersey, we're even guessing whether schools are gonna open in September. Forget about the end of the year now, so, you know. There, can you put 30 kids, eighth graders in a classroom uh, being two inches away from each other? Um, you know, a vaccine, of course, will, you know, solve the majority of the problems, of course, but we don't know where we are on that. Yeah, there's like 35 in the pipeline. Once yeah. they even know which one could work or it's a combination of two, then how do you distribute that? So yeah. it's, sure. Yeah. But hey, let's hope that show and Wayne in September plays. <laughs> it's actually November, so we have a couple. Two well, look, I, look I, I think you're right to have the show teed up and, you know, we're doing the same thing. I think the challenge for that stuff is, you know, even if, it can, even if it can play by November, can we get it announced and have it put on sale in this economy where people aren't working mm -hmm. in, in time to have the show have a shot at doing some business? I, I think we're going to have the benefit of Cabin Fever initially out of the gate when things do reopen, whenever that is, whether it's this year or next year or whatever. Um, but, you know, then there's going to be the, does that momentum stay at a certain level due to the fact that people don't have the money in their pockets. You know, I think people maybe initially are just going to be like, whatever it takes to get out and do something and be a human being, that'll work to the concert business and the entertainment 
in sports business to advantage initially, but where the curve remains after on the after that initial burst, if there is that initial burst that I'm predicting there, you know, how long it, it stays at a certain level to support what we all do, TBD. You know, it's uh, but I think you're right to have the shows in place. We have to be ready for business to be there as soon as it can resume, whether it's this year or next year or, or whenever. When history, uh, history has shown, when the chips are down, people spend more per, a, a greater percentage of the money they have on entertainment. And I hope you are right, my friend. Not more money. They spend a greater percentage of the money they have. Yeah, sure. Well, let's, uh, let's wave that flag. I, I, you know, we all need it. Uh, we need it for our livelihoods and our artists' livelihoods. But, I mean, as humans, we just, we need it. We, we need we need the lightheartedness of what what entertainment brings us so hopefully hopefully that stays true in this next next wave mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well let me ask a few questions sort of um if if we could kind of go through the entities on your side of the business who are who are affected by what's going on right now um obviously you know you guys are, are the agencies but besides you um let's just artists for a second. Can you see, um, because the, uh, your bands probably, most of their revenue is coming from live, live shows and merch, um, and being that now we're, I don't know what month we are in which, we haven't had shows, I don't know if we're just finishing the first month of it, but um, if it goes on too long, can you see some bands may have to break up because that revenue didn't come in and somebody has, you know, a couple people have to get quote unquote, real jobs or some sort of job and they can't afford to just be in a band anymore? Can you see um, anything happening on that end when it comes to the artists that you guys represent? I, I think there's a couple of layers to that. I think, I think, I think everyone's hurting in the, you know, who, who's involved with the, with, with, with just so many different lines of work, but in the touring side specifically, you know, the, the artists, the managers, the crew people, the bartenders, uh, you know, the security people, it, it's, 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 it's suffocating us all right now. Um, and, and I do think there will be real attrition. I do think there will, promoters will go out of business. Agencies will go out of business. Managers will go out of business. Bands will break up. I don't know how wide scale it is. Hopefully it's, you know, people will figure out a way to, build bridges for themselves to last it out, but there's going to be some attrition. I'm not going to make a widespread prediction. I'm not going to hope that it's a widespread thing, but I think naturally with this situation, there's going to be, you know, some attrition. I think part of what'll help keep things together is, you know, you made the comment, you know, people will go get jobs. Well, what jobs are they going to get? I just don't know that that's, you know, bands will stay together just simply because there's not going to be anything else for them to do, you know? Um, and I'm I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm I'm saying I think there's an element of reality to that. It's uh, you know, it's it's there's not jobs to go get. Thirty and thirty-five million unemployed. Yeah, yeah. There's not a job to go get, so you might as well keep. You might as well stay in your band. Um, but um, I think there will be attrition. Uh, what scale? Who knows? That was good. The next question you you brought up uh, venues uh, or you brought up promoters, but what about a lot of the venues and i'm not even going to say what size venues because there's so many different uh sizes out there can you see a lot of those going out 
or able to come back. I, I, I think, I think again, there's going to be attrition. What, what scale, you know, we, again, we'll have to revert back to the crystal ball for that. You know, as few as possible, hopefully, and probably more than we want in reality, you know, regardless of what the scale is. I, I, I just, you know, how do you run a business with no income? We're all in that boat right now. You know, every, every, everyone on, in this field is running a business with no income. So naturally not everyone's going to last. I do have, I know John has to leave, but I actually have a question for him from one of the bands that you guys represent. Um, all right. You have a run DMC on your roster. Yes. 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 So um, I was texting with uh, Daryl McDaniels over the weekend. Yeah. Um, he lives in our town and we've done some stuff with him and so him. asked him, I told him that we were going to have you on. And I said, did he have anything to say to you? And um, he said that you, John, are one of the great things about the music biz. Um, your person doesn't BS you. I, You're here. Um, my Tell him to stop lying. For you is, where do you think the performance music biz can go now that this current situation has artists stationary and not able to tour or do shows in venues? We know shows will come back, but is something happening that artists can continue to use? Do you understand his question? Yeah. Artists make great art. Picasso went from just making drawings to paintings to art pieces go in all different directions. You know, uh, uh, Rembrandt went in a lot of different directions in his career. Um, and I think uh, artists have the ability to impact. And I think with, uh, with uh, Daryl, I mean, definitely with his stuff, his solo stuff is amazing and what he's done is been able to take the same energy, the same rock that made him, you know, uh, growing up with hip hop. And he's turned it into metal, he's turned it into punk, he's turned it into rock, he's turned it into all different kinds of things. He wrote a book. He, he got through a really difficult part in his life. He ended up writing a book. He's working on some other projects. He has that intrinsic spirit in him. This is a challenge, what we're going through. This is an insane challenge, but nobody went through the Spanish flu epidemic and had the ability to track this visually. Artists have the ability to create music without a record company, without a distribution network. They can create, they can put stuff out there. They can find a way to get tip jars. They can find a way to get paid on their merch. They have an immense amount of freedom. What we don't have is centralization, well, we have the internet, but we don't have a true centralization where we don't have the live performances. I know a lot of artists are releasing stuff on weekends, they're putting together podcasts, they're creating a way to get their community, to get their religion out there, to find more congregants to their religion. And that's really the key, isn't it? If you're good at what you do and you believe in what you do, People will follow you. People will believe that what you're presenting, your songs, your voice, is the gospel, is the truth. And you get enough people to do that, they'll form their own church. What is a concert, if nothing more, than a room full of congregants being preached to by their truest artist sense? That's what it is. And right now, we have 
shepherds that are trying to find their flock. That's a great way to end it. That is a great way for me to end it. Yeah. All right. That looks good. I'll see you guys. Thanks, Take John. Care, Thank you. Take care. Look, I, I, I'll, I'll add this to what John said. You know, now there's a little bit of a, another wave of a wild, wild west happening right now, right? It's a, uh, you know, this sucks, but there's opportunity somewhere in this. And, you know, I think everyone's going to take the time they have to try and figure out how to, you know, find new ways to communicate the, the art, you know? So, you know, and I think those of us who are in the business where our, our mainstream of income is, you know, touring, whether it's the bands, whether it's the managers, whether it's the agencies, got to think a little out of the box. You don't want to be caught in this situation twice and not have any other way to survive than doing it one way. So, you know, I think the artists will figure it out and hopefully a good number of the rest of us will as well. Well, I think we should probably uh, leave it at that. Marconi, did you have any yeah. questions that you wanted? No, I'm in good shape. Cool. No, well, hopefully um, we did this thing justice for you guys. Thanks for giving us some, uh, some time. No, thank you. Yeah. I think this is really great to have you both, Dave and, and Tim on, and also John, who already had to take off. So thanks to both of you. And next time we see you guys, we'll give you a can of turtle wax or something for appearing on this great, this great show. <laughs> <laughs> love it. We love it. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, Thanks thank you guys much. very much. We really appreciate you guys for coming out. Yep. Cheers. So long. Yeah. And so Marconi, we are done. Thank you listeners for listening. And we appreciate you in this time that mm -hmm. you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. I'm Brave Nero. We, by the way, we never mentioned Ashley Veltner, our German engineer, who's has mm -hmm. nothing to do with this other than uploading it to the radio. Ah. But and and being in Germany like she does. So, uh, Professor Dr. Esteban Marconi, thank you so much. Well, thank you, my uh, co colleague and co-host. That is I. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. Do you know what we say, Dr. Esteban? I have no idea. I There's no way. You, why I did you know? Let's try that this time. Yes, we say at the end of every show, not hello. We say.
bonita. Be on my like a picha. Get respect like a reef. 